Chapter 3 of Original Stories from Real Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Original Stories from Real Life by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 3 The Treatment of Animals. The Story of Crazy Robin. THE MAN CONFINED IN THE BASTILLE In the afternoon, the children bounded over the short grass of the common and walked under the shadow of the mountain till they came to a craggy part where a stream broke out and ran down the declivity, struggling with the huge stones which impeded its progress and occasioned a noise that did not unpleasantly interrupt the solemn silence of the place. The brook was soon lost in a neighbouring wood, and the children turned their eyes to the broken side of the mountain, over which ivy grew in great profusion. Mrs. Mason pointed out a little cave, and desired them to sit down on some stumps of trees, whilst she related the promised story. In yonder cave once lived a poor man, who generally went by the name of Crazy Robin. In his youth he was very industrious, and married my father's dairymaid, a girl deserving of such a good husband. For some time they continued to live very comfortably. Their daily labour procured their daily bread. But Robin, finding it was likely he should have a large family, borrowed a trifle to add to the small pittance which they had saved in service, and took a little farm in a neighbouring county. I was then a child. Ten or twelve years after, I heard that a crazy man, who appeared very harmless, had piled by the side of the brook a great number of stones. He would wade into the river for them, followed by a cur dog, whom he would frequently call his Jackie, and even his Nancy, and then mumble to himself, Thou wilt not leave me, we will dwell with the owls in the ivy. A number of owls had taken shelter in it. The stones which he waded for he carried to the mouth of the hole, and only just left room enough to creep in. Some of the neighbours at last recollected his face, and I sent to inquire what misfortune had reduced him to such a deplorable state. The information I received from different persons I will communicate to you in as few words as I can. Several of his children died in their infancy, and, two years before he came to his native place, one misfortune had followed another, till he had sunk under their accumulated weight. Through various accidents he was long in arrears to his landlord, who, seeing that he was an honest man, who endeavoured to bring up his family, did not distress him. But when his wife was lying in of her last child, the landlord dying, his heir sent and seized the stock for the rent, and the person from whom he had borrowed some money, exasperated to see all gone, Arresting him immediately, he was hurried to jail, without being able to leave any money for his family. The poor woman could not see them starve, and trying to support her children before she had gained sufficient strength, she caught cold, and through neglect and her want of proper nourishment, her illness turned to a putrid fever, which two of the children caught from her and died with her. The two who were left... Jackie and Nancy went to their father, 
and took with them a cur dog that had long shared their frugal meals. The children begged in the day and at night slept with their wretched father. Poverty and dirt soon robbed their cheeks of the roses which the country air made bloom with a peculiar freshness, so that they soon caught a jail fever and died. The poor father, who was now bereft of all his children, hung over their bed in speechless anguish. Not a groan or a tear escaped from him, whilst he stood two or three hours in the same attitude, looking at the dead bodies of his little darlings. The dog licked his hands and strove to attract his attention, but for a while he seemed not to observe his caresses. When he did, he said mournfully, Thou wilt not leave me, and then he began to laugh. The bodies were removed, and he remained in an unsettled state, often frantic. At length the frenzy subsided, and he grew melancholy and harmless. He was not then so closely watched, and one day he contrived to make his escape. The dog followed him, and came directly to his native village. After I had received this account, I determined he should live in the place he had chosen, undisturbed. I sent some conveniences, all of which he rejected, except a mat, on which he sometimes slept. The dog always did. I tried to induce him to eat, but he constantly gave the dog whatever I sent him, and lived on haws and blackberries and every kind of trash. I used to call frequently on him, and he sometimes followed me to the house I now live in, and in winter he would come of his own accord and take a crust of bread. He gathered watercresses out of the pool and would bring them to me with nosegays of wild thyme, which he plucked from the sides of the mountain. I mentioned before that the dog was a cur. It had indeed the bad trick of a cur and would run barking after horses' heels. One day... When his master was gathering watercresses, the dog running after a young gentleman's horse made it start and almost threw the rider, who grew so angry that, though he knew it was the poor madman's dog, he levelled his gun at his head, shot him, and instantly rode off. Robin ran to his dog. He looked at his wounds, and not sensible that he was dead, called to him to follow him. But when he found that he could not, he took him to the pool and washed off the blood before it began to clot, and then brought him home and laid him on the mat. I observed that I had not seen him pacing up the hills as usual and sent to inquire about him. He was found sitting by the dog, and no entreaties could prevail on him to quit the body or receive any refreshment. I instantly set off for this place, hoping, as I had always been a favourite, that I should be able to persuade him to eat something. But when I came to him, I found the hand of death was upon him. He was still melancholy, yet there was not such a mixture of wildness in it as formerly. I pressed him to take some food, but, instead of answering me or turning away, he burst into tears, a thing I had never seen him do before. And sobbing, he said, Will any one be kind to me? You will kill me. I saw not my wife die. No, they dragged me from her. But I saw Jackie and Nancy die, 
and who pitied me? But my dog, he turned his eyes to the body. I wept with him. He would then have taken some nourishment, but nature was exhausted, and he expired. Was that the cave? said Mary. They ran to it. Poor Robin! Did you ever hear of anything so cruel? Yes, answered Mrs. Mason, and as we walk home, I will relate an instance of still greater barbarity. I told you that Robin was confined in a jail. In France they have a dreadful one, called the Bastille. The poor wretches who are confined in it live entirely alone, who have not the pleasure of seeing men or animals, nor are they allowed books. They live in comfortless solitude. Some have amused themselves by making figures on the wall, and others have laid straws in rows. One miserable captive found a spider. He nourished it for two or three years. It grew tame and partook of his lonely meal. The keeper observed it, and mentioned the circumstance to a superior, who ordered him to crush it. In vain did the man beg to have his spider spared. You find, Mary, that the nasty creature which you despised was comfort in solitude. The keeper obeyed the cruel command, and the unhappy wretch felt more pain when he heard the crush than he had ever experienced during his long confinement. He looked round a dreary apartment, and the small portion of light which the grated bars admitted only served to show him that he breathed where nothing else drew breath. End of chapter 3